Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Well, amen. This morning we're going to be in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And we'll just look at two verses, 11 and 12. The, uh, if you're new with us this morning, uh, again, welcome. We are walking through the book of James. We've been studying this really since August. We took a break during the December month in January, uh, looking at a couple different things, but we've picked it back up several weeks ago, and so we're continuing on. And uh, so we're in, we're in James 4, verse 11 and 12. And as I've been wrestling with this text this week, man, uh, last week was special. If you were here last week, it was just a powerful time of worship. Uh, the presence of God really just met and uh, fell on this place. And at the end of the service, man, students were down here uh, praying. Adults were down here praying. God was just doing a special work. And we had a time of just praying over the students at the end and as I started wrestling with it this week, I was like, man, Lord, I hope, I hope you have a really good passage for us this week, because I was like, man, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and so he gave us this passage, and I think it's very timely in how God is at work in this church and what he's given us today to study. Um, you know, if you want to call it revival, there's revival breaking out all across the land. There's an awakening among young people. There's a sense in which people are more sensitive to the spirit of God, to the presence of God. We're hungry for it. We're longing for it. And God is pouring that out here. Praise the Lord for that. But I think God has given us this text as a reminder because I think the quickest way that we can stifle what God wants to do is when we as God's people turn on one another with our words. And we bite and we cut and we undermine and we hurt and we rob what God wants to do in that. James turns his attention to this very issue among the people that he's addressing. And the issue is that people turn from God to themselves and in that against others. So let's read this morning, James chapter four, verse 11, and let's see what the Lord has for us today. It says this, it says, do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we proclaim your word and as we study your word and your Holy Spirit intersects with that, God, that you would um, do what only you can do. And that your word does not return void. So God, I pray that you would pierce my heart, pierce our hearts. And God, uh, you accomplish all that you want. Lord, anoint my words as your words in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that James, in these two short verses, gives a command. And then he, what he does is he gives two reasons for it. So I want to I just kind of walk us through this. The first, the command, is clear. Do not speak evil against one another. Now, this is, this is a very simple statement. It's one that I think we fully understand. We understand the power of words, don't we? You've been hurt by words, and you've used words that have hurt others. 
We understand the power of words. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but you say it with me, words will what? They'll never hurt me. We know that's a lie. We know it's not true. I'm reminded of the song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little mouth what you say, why your father up above is looking down, right? And we, we understand this. We, we teach our kids. We, we want them. You ever had your, your, uh, your mouth washed out with soap? Right? Why? Because we understand the importance of our words. Now, I need a volunteer. I wish you could have seen this row right here. <laughs> as soon as I said that, their hands go. <gasps> now, I don't know if that's a please call on me or please don't call on me. Can I have a volunteer front row, second row? One of you guys want to come on? Come on, come on. Yeah, come on up. Let's give him a hand right here. This is a new strategy that I'm going to employ on Sunday mornings. I'm just going to start calling random people out and bringing them up on stage. Come on, don't be shy. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Here's what I need you to do. I brought my toothpaste. Anybody, anybody use some toothpaste this morning? How many of you, be honest, forgot to brush your teeth? <laughs> I knew I smelled something. All right, come here. Come here. Here's what I need you to do. All right, there's already some on here All right, um, that was from the first service. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to squeeze out the toothpaste onto this plate. All of it. Make it where everyone can see so they can be so proud of the fact that you know how to get toothpaste out. So the issue of you brushing your teeth had nothing to do with you not knowing how to get toothpaste out of the tube, right? Yeah, there you go, there you go. All right, you're doing a good job. All right, that, that last bit's hard, isn't it? There you go, there you go. All right, now put the, put, put, just hang on to that. And put this right back here. All right, here's, here's what I need you to do now, all right? I need you to take this toothpaste, and I want you to put it back in the tube. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head no? Can't. You can't? You want to try? No. <laughs> Why? Why don't you want to try? This get a little messy? Yeah, it'll get a little bit. All right, give him a hand. Good job, man. I appreciate it. He did, a, he did a really good job there. Yes, it would get very messy, wouldn't it? Don't miss this, church. These, this is like our words. Once they come out, they can never be put back. It can't. See, toothpaste, the intent was not to make a mess with toothpaste. The intent with toothpaste is to put it on a toothbrush and to brush your teeth, to, to clean, to give, to give health, to give beauty, to... to to, to, to help and, and to grow towards health, but use inappropriately. Like, let's, let's not, if, if we really would have tried to get the toothpaste back in here, it would have got really messy really quick, wouldn't it? And sometimes with our words, when we allow our words to go out, they tear down, they lead to mess, they lead to problems, they lead to destruction. God's called us to give life with our words. Listen to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Don't miss that. The tongue, our words, have the power to give life and to give death. I think we understand the importance of guarding what we Say And James understands that. He gives a very clear, very concise, a very direct command. Do not speak evil against one another. And notice in that verse what he says. 
next, there's a comma, and he says, brothers. He says, brothers. Now, if you've been with us for the last bit, you understand that if we've studied James, there's several different times where he address, addresses them in a very personal manner like this. He calls them brothers or is brothers and sisters. It's the sense that we are family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all Christians together. He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying we are, we are family. And a few weeks ago, if you look back, he actually shifts from calling them brothers and sisters to calling them adulterers. And the reason he's doing that is because he's reminding them, he's calling them out that they have cheated on God. They have shifted their allegiance from God to other things, primarily themselves and their own pride and their own selfishness. And so he calls them adulterers, but now he shifts back to brothers And I think he does so specifically with this context to say, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. In other words, he wants to remind them who they are, that we're family, that we're all sinners saved by Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and how dare we speak words of evil against one another? Church, do you believe this? Because I do. We often save our harshest words and worst criticism for the ones that are closest. Don't we? Don't we? I think James is reminding them of that here. He's saying, be careful. See, here's a point of application with that. We need to guard about what we say to our spouses. We need to watch what we say to our children. Listen, there are a lot of young people walking around wounded, wounded by the words that have come from a mother or a father. Be careful. There's many marriages that are broken because of words that have been spoken. But it doesn't stop there. There's a lot of families that have been broken. But there's a lot of churches that are broken because of words that have been spoken. And James is addressing this very issue within the local church that he is shepherding. And if you notice in verse 11, he uses this word. He says, do not speak evil against one another. And I'm fascinated by the fact that he chose this word. This is a serious word, isn't it? When we think of evil, we think of evil. You know what I mean? Like, like evil stuff. And he's saying, don't speak evil. And, and as I was meditating on this and thinking about it this week, I started to, to, to consider perhaps if we weren't careful, we would read through this passage rather quickly. It's just two verses. And we would get to the point where he says, do not speak evil against one another and stop for a second and say, I don't, I don't use evil language. I don't, I don't speak evil against people. I might speak against people. I don't, I don't speak evil against people. And in our self-righteousness, we, we kind of say, okay, we're okay, and then we can move on. You see, I don't think James uses the word evil to describe the types of words that are being used. I think James is using the word evil to describe that any talk against someone is evil, regardless of the choice of words used. And what James is essentially saying is we're all guilty of this. 
And we're not just guilty of speaking against, we're guilty of evil. We clarify this, we understand this. If you look at the very next phrase, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother, not evil, but just speaks against a brother or judges his brother. So this is the clarifying statement to help us understand what he's talking about, what he means by this. We understand this idea of slander. This is where we get the word slander from. It's this idea where we make false accusations against someone intending to tear them down. This is a serious issue, a serious sin. Romans chapter one, we see this at the end of chapter one uh, in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Right, So we understand that, that people rebelled against God, that they turned away from God, and so God gave them over to their debased mind, to what, whatever it is that they desired. And then listen to the list. They were then filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Like these are serious words, aren't they? Maliciousness. He goes on. He says they are gossips. And then he says they're slanderers. They are haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They are disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who do. Slander and gossip right in the middle of that list. And so we see that there is a serious sense in which this ought not be, but what we need to understand that James is not just talking about slander in the sense that people are making up lies about someone to undercut them. What James is saying is whether it is true or false, it is evil and wrong. Meaning this, here's what sometimes we as Christians do. We don't wanna be guilty of slander. We would never lie about somebody. But if it's true, we think it's okay to say. You follow me? We justify our talking against someone because what is being said is true. That doesn't mean we need to still tear them down by the faults that they have. And James is addressing this very issue. Whether it's true or not, don't speak against them. When he says speak against, he's saying speaking ill of someone, talking down against someone, speaking against them, um, cutting them with their words, having a critical spirit, having a judgmental eye against them. And if you notice, he says speak against or judge. And so there's this progression that happens as we speak against somebody. As we do this, we are, what we're doing is we're judging them, we're lowering them, we're, we're looking at a very critical eye to find fault in them for us to criticize. This is the issue that James is addressing here. And if, it's, if you look, if you notice the context of this, it's really fascinating because at the beginning of chapter four, if you look at chapter four, the beginning of in verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There, there's conflict happening within the body, within the church there. And he says the answer to what's causing the, the quarrels and the fights is the selfish desires and the passions that are waging within you. In other words, you want your way, and so it's leading to conflict within the body. And anytime that you begin to, to do that and have conflict, then you're gonna start 
speaking against those who are against you and who you don't like, or who, and just start words start flying. And in that, you begin looking for very, various ways to, to judge people and to find faults in them so that you can better yourself and tear them down so that your side can win. This is what we're really good at. The slanderer, the evil speaker, as James calls them, looks for the one that seems lacking based upon their own judgment and then attacks, sometimes with the veil of spirituality. But really, it is vicious, condescending, and as James says, evil. Do you know that Proverbs addresses this in a list? There are six things that the Lord hates according to Proverbs 6. You know what it is? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and don't miss verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. This is the slanderer. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what he says next. And the one who sows discord among brothers. How do we sow discord among brothers? By speaking against them. By finding fault and making it known. By gossiping. Can you believe they did that? Or did you see that? Or you just, you know how to do it. I find this so compelling that James is addressing this. This church, listen, this church was pastored by the brother of Jesus. If there is a church that ought to be healthy, if there's a church that ought to be really, really good at being the church, it ought to be the church who's pastored by the brother of Jesus, isn't it? Like, let's just be honest. If we were existing in this time and you were here looking for a church, I can promise you I would first go to the church where the pastor is the brother of Jesus. Right? But isn't it funny or ironic that in a church like that, James is addressing what we would call just petty little gossip. And he's calling it evil. Here's why. See, they struggled with the exact same things that we struggle with today, running our mouths. Why? Because at the heart of it all is a heart issue. It's a sin issue. It's a pride issue. It's, it's who we are. We have not changed. We're still walking through it, still struggling with it. And James gives us this reminder to say, it ought not be among the believers. Do not speak against one another. Listen, the power of our words, we've become really, really good at using our words to tear down. And I think James has been addressing issues as to why. If you remember back, he's addressed the issue of pride. Do you remember this? He says, God opposes the proud. Listen, it is not the humble that uses words to cut and undermine and gossip. It's the pride. It's the proud. It's the pride in us that does it. He's addressed jealousy in James chapter 3. Look back at James chapter 3 verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. It's the result of it. It stems from the jealousy in our heart. He's addressed selfish ambition. 
And can we just be honest that most of the time when we use words to cut and undermine and hurt people, it's not because we don't like them, it's more because we're insecure in ourselves and we need to tear them down so that we can be built up? Selfish ambition. James goes on, he's addressed the issue of the double-minded. How they're not single-mindedly fixed upon Jesus and walking in obedience to him, but they're, they got one foot in the, in the world in the flesh and one foot in the things of the spirit. And let's just be honest, that's what, when, when we've got the foot in the world, that's when we react. That's when we respond. That's when the words come flying out of us and we wish we could get them back as they're leaving, don't we? It's all heart issues. The body of Christ gets torn down. There's a disease, it's called ITP. And I'm not smart enough to pronounce what the actual words are, but here's what it does. Your body tells itself, tells its immune system to go and attack your platelets in your blood. And your body keeps trying to produce platelets and produce platelets and your body just attacks them and eats them and destroys them. And you don't even know that it's happening. And then all of a sudden, you start getting bruises on your body. And it can have catastrophic consequences. There's a lot of churches that have a spiritual form of ITP. Where the brothers and the sisters, with a critical and judgmental eye, look for things to attack. And they use their words, like heat-seeking missiles to go and destroy anything that they can find. As I've wrestled with this this week, I've just simply asked this question to myself, and I want to ask it to us. What do we as Green Hill Church want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? What kind of reputation do we want to have as a church? I don't ever want us to be a church that's known for the church that people run their mouths, that point their fingers in condemnation, that have this appearance of self-righteousness that they're better than anyone else. No, I want us to be a church that uses words to speak life, to build up, to offer hope, to offer the gift of life through the gospel. That we're a people that walk patiently and offer words of love to the outcast. That we speak words of hope to the one that's hopeless. That we offer words of forgiveness to those who are carrying guilt and shame. That we offer words of sympathy and care and concern. And that we use our words on our knees before our Heavenly Father, crying out for the salvation of those around us. This is who we are to be. This is, the, this is the privilege God has given us to use our words for. But yet in our pride and in our selfishness, we use them to undermine and to cut and to destroy. And James is addressing this issue then, and he's helping us address this issue today. And may we not be found guilty of it. Now, James, what he does next is he turns his attention to show us two reasons why he's addressing this. And I find it fascinating that he doesn't say because your words are going to hurt someone. He doesn't say because your words are going to destroy the church. He doesn't give us any of those reasons. Those are all true things. 
But what he does is he helps us look within to the very issue of our own lives and our hearts. Notice what he says. Reason number one, our words reveal our view of the law. Look at 11b, the second part of that verse. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Notice this. He speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So in other words, when you're speaking evil against or judging your brother, what you're doing is you're actually speaking evil against and judging the law of God. This is serious business. And if you notice what he's doing here is when we see the word law, what what does that mean? Well, the law is the, the, the law of God that God has given us, but I think he's narrowing it down for us. I think he's specifically talking about this, the, the, this, what we call the royal law. And then you're like, what's the royal law? If you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, all the way in the Old Testament when the law was given, it says this. This is God speaking to his people. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. This is what God has called us to, to love our neighbor Why? Because this is what God has said, all right? And then if you fast forward to the life of Jesus, right? When Jesus comes and he lives on this earth, he has some words about this in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus himself calls this command the second greatest commandment. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're very familiar with this language, aren't we? We understand this. This is the royal law. Now, let's tie this to what James is talking about. Look at verse 12 of James 4. What does he say? Uh, at the, the very end, but who are you to judge? Notice the word he says, your, say it with me, your neighbor. And so what he's doing is he's tying the knots. He's connecting the dots here between the royal law of the Old Testament, the second greatest commandment that Jesus has given of love your neighbor as yourself. When he's talking specifically about you're speaking judgment against the law, you're speaking judgment against the law of this royal law that Jesus says is the second greatest commandment. This is fascinating. Look back at chapter 2 of James. Look at verse 8. He says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, you say that you're doing really well at loving your neighbor, but you're showing partiality. You're showing discrimination. You're judging others. And now what James is saying is you're speaking against one another. So you are guilty of committing sin against God and you are guilty of a part of the law. Therefore, you are guilty of all the law. So when we sin by Speaking against someone, we are essentially being condemned by the very law that we're speaking against. And so what James is saying is that you have placed yourself beside the law and looking down upon the law, judging the law by you disobeying the law. Let me put it into our language, because I know none of y'all have done this. Driving down the interstate, 70 miles per hour, because none of you go over, let's just be honest. And you come to a spot where you see a sign that says construction ahead. So you get to the part where there's the construction and you notice a sign that says 55 on it. And you look at that sign and you say, how dare they put that there? I'm trying to get somewhere. And so you say, well, that must be for someone else. And so you 
keep driving your 70 miles per hour through the construction zone, don't you? Let's just be honest. Or you might, let's just be, okay, we'll slow it down to 68. And we joke about that because we all do it, right? But listen, essentially, if we are breaking that law, we are saying that law is dumb. And even worse, we're saying the very one who came up with that law and instituted that law is dumb. And so what James is saying here, watch this, listen, when we speak evil against someone, we're essentially saying the law that God gave, which is love your neighbor as yourself, that's not a good law. And the one who gave us that law, God himself, he didn't know what he's talking about. This is what James is saying that we're doing. And if you notice what he says next, you have shifted from being a doer of the law to now a judge of the law. And if you remember back, James says, don't be a hearer of the law only, but a doer of it. James is now saying you've shifted from being a doer of it to a judge of it. In other words, instead of coming under the law, walking in obedience to God's commands, you remove yourself from the law to say, I'm better than the law. I'm bigger than the law. I'm over and above the law. I'm going to stand here and judge the law because I'm not going to do it. I'm rather going to speak evil against one another. This is what James is saying we're doing. So our words help us see our view of the law and whether or not we understand really what it is and what God has done in it. So look over at James chapter 2, verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, recognize that you're not above the law to the side of the law, but rather you are under the law of God and you walk in obedience to it, knowing that you're going to be judged by it. And so in that, we submit to God and we submit to his ways and we humble ourselves. Listen, when we recognize that this is the law of God and this is the judgment that we're going to have according to this standard, it ought to drive us to our knees in humility to say, woe is me. Woe is me. But James doesn't just leave us there. He reveals the second reason why he's addressing this issue. And don't miss what he says in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. In other words, you think you're all that by removing yourself and putting yourself over and above the law Essentially, what you're doing at that point is you're removing God from his throne room seat and putting yourself in it. Shame on you. There is only one lawgiver. It's God Almighty. And because there's only one lawgiver, there's only one who can judge by that law that he gave. It's God Almighty. And we need to understand that This is who God is, that our words reveal our view of God. In other words, if we think that we can just throw our words out carelessly against somebody, we have lost sight of who God is. Can I just be honest? I believe that that's what's happened in our culture and why we live the way we live is because rather than looking to God and adjusting our life to him, we look to our life and then adjust God to our life. We've reduced God to fit our agenda and what we want to make ourselves feel better and not as guilty. And God says, no, I'm the lawgiver. I'm the judge. Move out of my way. This reminded me of the conversation that God had with Job 
when Job had a lot of questions for God. This is how Job resp- or God responded to Job in Job chapter 40. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said this, dress for action like a man. In other words, I'm about to address you. And then he goes on and he says, I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? In other words, God's saying, I and I alone am God. Church, our words reveal what we think about God. The way that we treat one another. The way we speak to one another. God made sure that Job understood who he was. And James is helping make sure we understand who God is. Notice how he describes God. He says, he who is able, don't miss this, to save and to destroy. Can we just sit there in that statement for a second? That God is both able to save and destroy. That is a weighty thought to consider, isn't it? Listen to how Jesus stated it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says this, Jesus saying, Do not fear those who kill the body but not, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, this is God, fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What James is reminding them is that there is a day coming. It's called the day of the Lord. It's the, the day of judgment. When every single person will stand before God Almighty In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way in chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There is coming a day when the God who is both able to save and to destroy will bring to light will make manifest everything that is within, everything that is hidden, everything that is dark, everything that is within, and it will be brought to the light. And it is upon the law of God that we will be judged. And can I just be honest with you, church? We are all guilty. We all stand in condemnation. We will all receive the destruction. God will destroy sin. He will not allow sin to fester. He will not allow it to win. He will destroy it because he is a consuming, holy God. And James needs us to remember this when we use our words. But he doesn't leave it there, church. He says he is a God who first can save, but he will be righteous in his judgment. And here's the power of the gospel. Don't miss this. God has called us to love our neighbors because he first loved us. And his love for us was not rooted in our ability to be righteous in ourselves, but he loved us in our nastiness. And rather than pointing a finger of judgment, he pointed a finger of love, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to become like us. But yet, he was perfect. He didn't have the the, the nasty. And so when the, the woman who's caught in adultery is brought before Jesus by the religious leaders... Mind you, the religious leaders with a pointing finger of judgment, they say, Jesus, what do you think about this? He says, all right, which of you are sinless? 
you can cast the first stone of judgment. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only one who's sinless. So the rest of them walk off, and Jesus looks at her in compassion and grace and mercy and says, where's all your condemners? Where's all the ones pointing the finger, casting stones with their mouth and with their word anymore? They're not here anymore. Why? Because they're all guilty. So go and sin no more. And I think essentially what he's saying is, look to me. Look to me. I love you. And a little bit later in Jesus' life, he went to a cross and was nailed to a cross Not simply because he was guilty of anything. No, he wasn't guilty of anything. He laid his life down with the intent, watch this, of taking your sin and my sin and anyone's sin who will place faith and belief in him for salvation on that cross. And watch this, don't miss this. The judgment from the almighty God who is righteously fit for judgment, who can both save and destroy, chose to destroy his own son on the cross so that he does not have to destroy us. So how dare we think that we in judgment can point a finger at someone else? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that's been poured out for us. Listen to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Luke 9, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in that, he took upon himself the very judgment of God that we so deserve. Let me ask you this question. How can we who have experienced the grace of God as guilty sinners give anything other than words of grace and love and kindness and compassion and hope and mercy and of truth of love? Church, our words are powerful. They can cut and they can destroy lives. Or they can bring life. The choice is ours. It's interesting, the Titanic, when it sank, there were many for many years that thought that when it hit the iceberg, it cut a massive hole in the side of the ship where the water rushed in. The truth is, they've found that it didn't do that. It just made small little slits in the side. Church, sometimes we think that our words that we say aren't that big of a deal. But they cut. And they cut. And they cut. There are people who no longer stand in church because of the cutting words of other church members. There are people who have turned their back on Christianity and Jesus because of the words that have been said by people who claim to love Jesus. May that not be us. May we be a people who give life through our words and have understood the very mercy of God that he has given us in Jesus Christ and then we pour that mercy out through our words. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? our time of response. I can't help, but this is simply a passage that's calling us to humility before God and who he is. 
Listen, our words will only submit to him if we see him for all that he is. As I've shared this message, perhaps the Holy Spirit's bringing some conviction in your life. You know of some specific conversations you've had where you've used words to hurt somebody, whether intentionally or not. Can we just say that the right thing to do is to go to that person and just say, I'm sorry. I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? Some of you understand that your heart is a bit critical. When you look out at the world and you see the sin of people, rather than seeing with compassion, you first see with judgment, with fingers pointed. Maybe you need to ask God to give you a heart that's a little bit bigger, a little bit softer. Because church, can I just remind you, we're all sinners. But as Christians, our eyes have been open. Their eyes haven't been open. If you were here last week, Casey talked about the curious people, the captives, the prisoners, the jailers, those that we need to be sharing the gospel with. Church, there are a lot of people in our community that don't need Christians talking about them. They need Christians talking to them in love and in mercy. They need the church on their knees, crying out to God on their behalf, that God would show them mercy and that God would draw them to himself in salvation. This is what the world needs. May this be us, church. And finally, as we respond, when you heard that phrase in there that God is both able to save and to destroy, I need you to know there's only two options. And the differing factor is whether or not you have Jesus in your life who took your judgment for you. Have you given your life to Jesus for salvation? Maybe today's the day of finally saying yes to him and enter into eternal life with him forever. Never to be judged and condemned because of what you've done, but rather be looked at because of what Jesus has done for you. Father, we come before you right now God, your word has been proclaimed. You are the living God, your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would convict, that you would show, that you would reveal, that you would teach, that you would correct, that you'd rebuke. You'd do all the things that you do in my heart and our hearts collectively. And God, may we be a people who respond in obedience. Whatever that looks like, Lord, you have your way. Church, would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna sing a song. Pastor Casey's down front, I'm down front. If you need someone to pray with you, if you need to respond for salvation, if you just need to come and use this altar as a place to just get before the Lord, you do and respond as the Lord leads. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.